And it was my first exposure to clicker training because it was a clicker training class. And there was this moment where I saw that light bulb go off for Mikey, where he was like, oh, I can make you click. And it was all of a sudden there was this line of communication and we spoke the same language and everything after that became easier with him. Hi, welcome back to Telltale Dot, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me today, Kathy Manson, a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant who is on staff at Preventive Vet. Kathy focuses on helping humans and their pets build a strong relationship based on trust, clear communication, and the use of positive reinforcement training methods. Specialties include canine separation anxiety, leash reactivity, and dog aggression. Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for willing to be on. I never know how those cold asks are going, but <laughs> we're going to go. It. But yeah, <laughs> that was fantastic. So I wanted to touch on a little bit of why I asked you on, but we're going to focus on your trainer journey for this episode. And then we're going to talk about resource guarding the next episode. But basically I had a client that was like, yeah, I've been taking my dog's food away to prevent resource guarding. And I'm like, <laughs> That's come up so much. And when I was doing some more research, your wonderful article came up. So I'm going to link that in this for this episode and the next episode. But um, I'd love to learn more about Preventive Vet first, and then we're going to rewind a little bit and talk about the beginning. So what is Preventive Vet and how did you get on staff there? Yeah, so I... I love Preventivet because I, a long time ago, I didn't know it existed when they first started about five, six years ago. And we focus a lot on providing resources, education for free through the web, through articles, through YouTube videos and yappy hour events and things like that, because there's so much information out there and it can be hard for people to, to kind of weed through and figure out, well, what's right out of all of this. So, so our mission is to have everything vetted by veterinarians, by certified trainers, vet behaviorists, by people who have put the blood, sweat, and tears into what they do and have the experience to give you the right kind of resources and information that then you can act on. And I think our biggest mission is really preventive education because there's so much that we can prevent such as resource guarding, which we'll get into um, if we just know how. Uh, and so we have a saying in the office, it's no better dog better. And if we just knew how to prevent something, whether that's a medical emergency or if it's a behavior issue, you know, we would have done better. So it's all about education and empowering people and making it easy to find those resources so that they can help their dogs and be less stressed all around. Absolutely. I feel like there's a misconception that dogs are easy and I'm not sure why you've, you've, you've kind of seen that with your clients too. Like the 10 year old should be able to handle this, you know? And, yeah. And I, I struggle with it too. And I'm like, I am the quote unquote professional and this is hard. You know, yeah. I brought a puppy home during the pandemic and I was like, Whoa, this is really hard. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. I got, she was a little bit older, but a friend found a, a dog and I was like, I will foster this dog for a week. I'm not keeping her. Um, she's mine now. <laughs> she's still there. <laughs> yes. And she is the biggest challenge I've ever had in my life. And I am also a certified dog trainer. 
So it's, it's easier, I think, to think about it as it's simple, like there's simple steps we can take, right? But when you put all the sum of the parts together, this is hard. It's not easy. It's, and there's a lot of complexity to, to it. And I love that preventive vet is focused on good information because you get into the weeds of the internet and it's like people try to reduce and simplify and talk about all aggressions as if it's the same. And it's just not the way it works. Yeah. It's a lot of information. It's everything and anything all mm-hmm. of the time out yeah. there. So, so to help people weed through that and, and feel like they can trust the source. Um, I think is really important, but I found preventive vet, you know, I was working, I was managing a dog daycare, long hours, physical work, and I loved it, but I was getting to the age, the age, like I'm so old, (laughs) but I was getting the age where I was like, I can't keep this up. Um, And I have a degree in writing. And so I saw a posting from preventive vet that they were looking for something totally unrelated. I think it was marketing. So I was like, well, you know, they do pets. I love that. Cool. And it was just perfect because I met uh, with the CEO and we created a position for me because she was like, I want a certified trainer to be able to give that information so people can trust it based on your experience, hands-on experience and ability to communicate that so that it's understandable and easy to apply in real life. So, so it was, you know, it was fate, I think my destiny to find preventive vet. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually have an English literature degree myself and it's, it's fantastic. And sometimes I think like I, I wasted or I should have gotten like psychology or something, but writing, especially writing well and clearly in a way that connects with people in our industry is so important. It's just, it's crucial. Yeah, I agree because teaching, well, I think this is what's so crazy about people wanting to become dog trainers all around. They're like, Oh, I love dogs. I'm like, that's great. But do you like people? And then are you able to teach people and match your teaching style to their learning style, you know? And so being able to communicate is such a huge part of it. It's not all just getting to work with the dogs one-on-one, although I love those sessions. (laughs) I do, I do training walks and it's one of the highlights of my week. Just give me your pup. Let's go. But I also love working with people too. And I love communicating with them. And if something's going wrong, it's on me to fix it. Like I, it's my responsibility and the weight of responsibility that we hold as dog trainers. Like I don't take that lightly. And I'm sure you felt that before we're responsible for so much. Yeah. I mean, the, the connection between people and their dogs, I feel really responsible for that. And I'm lucky in that with my clients, I, I approach it the same way I approach training a dog where I focus so much on building a relationship with my client, the human side and helping them through things and building that relationship based on trust. So that even when there's moments where I'm like, this isn't going how it should be, (laughs) maybe because I didn't set it up right, or we missed something, having that trust lets me work with them and tweak some things and and keep going to find the right solution for them. Um, And that relationship is so important uh, between the trainer and the the human side of our clients. 100%. I'm all about helping dogs feel safe, but I also want their people to feel safe too. And if either party doesn't feel safe, it's going to be very hard to move forward and get anything, anything done. If they don't trust me, if they don't feel safe. And I live in an area where certain types of tools are used primarily and first. And so my focus is 
all right, let's talk about that. And if you feel like you need to, let's delve into it. And if you're going to use a certain tool, I want to make sure you know what you're doing from an educational standpoint. Even if I don't personally use those tools, let's just have a conversation. And I, I really focused here the education aspect first, even if you don't choose me as a dog trainer, I want you to know what you're getting into when you step into this field, because it is, it's kind of a scary place to be sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with, with my clients, I'm lucky I'm in the Seattle area and there's some amazing facilities here. And so the dog culture is a little different, I think, than, than most of the country. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but I'm lucky that people feel empowered enough to ask questions. And I always focus on, well, let's look at why that tool is working for you. And when they understand the why behind it, they start to think about, do I want to use this? Like Mm -hmm. it might work, but is this how I want it to work? And is this how I want my relationship to be? And so trying to connect with them on that level has been really good for a lot of the people who've had some pushback or just didn't know any better. It all, it all comes back to, did you know (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and when you know better, you can do better. And I found that our relationship with our dogs are super emotional. They are for me too. We have a lot of emotions around our dogs. And when we're afraid and we feel like one option is the only choice, of course, we're going to do that. Of course, we're going to make the decision that someone is telling us is the best choice for our dog to save our dog, to help our dog. And that's part of what I'm trying to do too, is helping people realize there are so many options out there. There's so many different choices that you can make. And can you feel empowered in to explore those options and to make those choices? And how do we get there? Yeah. Yeah. I always go back to, um, I think it was Susan Friedman at Clicker Expo, maybe a couple of years ago. And it's always stuck with me, her quote of, you know, you can do all these things, but is it necessary? Yes. Using certain tools that can cause discomfort, cause pain and can cause fear as part of the fallout. Sure. They might work, but is it necessary? And so just that education of there are other things that we can do. Yes. I love that. Um, I I think a lot about that because I don't, I also am, I'm not interested in using certain tools and I don't, I don't feel confident in using those tools because my timing isn't always good. And to use certain tools, your timing, and that's been a conversation in our, in our industry and and certain experts as well, your timing has to be impeccable. And if you mess that up, you're going to do it a lot of damage. Whereas the methods I like to use is, oh, whoopsie, we messed up. Exactly. There's no fallout from missing yeah. a click point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, let's try again. Whoopsie. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It's a lot easier for the trainer to, mm-hmm. to train that way. And it takes away a lot of the fallout that can happen with bad timing yeah. um, and with, you know, unintended associations that mm-hmm. you can make with the dog. So, so yeah, I li- physically, I am so much better at working with positive reinforcement force free because it's so much less pressure mm-hmm. on me, yeah. you know, especially when I'm working with the big dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I, I have a, I have a lot of clients that are little people with very large dogs and having a conversation I found is so much easier than trying to feel like you have to muscle and slam a dog into listening to you. It's like, did you try asking? Did you know how to ask? Let's did you try adding distance? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Simple, simple to, and people are always like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I mean, how would you know? It's exactly. Okay. No better, do better. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Well, I want to rewind a little bit and um, your bio is super cute. So there was this stray that wandered into your yard when you were six. So what was that experience for you? How did that relationship grow? How did that ignite in you the desire to begin uh, a career 
Oh, well, so we, in my family, always had a dog. Uh, we had Rottweilers. We always had a Rottweiler growing up. I think there was three or four uh, during my childhood, um, but they weren't really my dog. They were my dad's dog or my brother, my older brother's dog. Um, so I didn't have that connection with, with the dog until Penny, this small little, she had to be like a Pomeranian or Chihuahua thing mix. <laughs> She wandered into our yard one day and all that was on her was this little chain collar with a penny on it. Um, and so we did the thing where we put up the signs around the neighborhood and, and all of that pre-internet. So, you know, old school stuff. And no one contacted us. We went around asking. No one had seen the dog, anything like that. So then we ended up keeping her um, and she became my dog. And so she was kind of my introduction into how to care for a living being outside of yourself. <laughs> and all that that entails um and she was you know she's a cranky old lady <laughs> as, as she got up in years and man she put up with a lot for me as a kid and and I always joke with my clients who have children I was like when I was a child my dog did nip me in the face and my mom responded with a you're the idiot here because <laughs> you you need to stop sticking your face in her face and petting her when she doesn't want to be pet. And my mom had it right. Mm -hmm. But now I'm always like, we were a little bit more jumpy when it comes to those things now, understandably, right? Especially with larger dogs. If it had been the Rottweiler in our family doing that, there probably would have been a bigger issue. Yeah. But but for her, <laughs> she's tiny. So it worked out. And and she was the first dog that uh, that I lost and went through that that losing a pet and the grieving process and, and all the emotions that come with that. And so she was kind of my introduction to this is what a relationship with a dog can be and how how deeply it can affect you. But I've I've only ever been without a dog. I think I only didn't have a dog when I was in college for a couple of years, um, but I've never felt okay without a dog. So so, yeah, after her, it was kind of like, OK, I always need one of these around and went from there. So you got your degree in, in writing, you said? Yeah, I, well, I went to undergrad for international relations, okay. totally unrelated to anything, um, and then spent some years working odd jobs. So I did, did a lot of work in the restaurant industry, which I love. I love working in the service industry, and then decided, you know, I'm going to go back to school, and I got my master's degree in uh, creative writing. So I like learning. I'm a nerd. I, I would go back to school tomorrow if someone paid for it. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's what makes this industry so amazing because you it, it never ends. Like I took a class recently where the trainer that the head trainer was like, oh, yeah, you take one of these classes, any dog that you need to train, you're set for life. And I'm just sitting there thinking, mm, <laughs> no, <laughs> not my class. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I do love that because there's always continued education opportunities mm -hmm. going on. And so it, it gives me an outlet for my, my nerd side to yes. get involved with that and learn from some of the greats um, who are they themselves still learning. So mm -hmm. it's a great community. Yes. And I do love that when I love seeing in our industry when people are like, I, I'm, there's still so much to go. I know people that have been in this industry like 20 plus years and they're still learning. And that's so cool to see. And it's, um, it's helpful. And I think that should be helpful for dog owners too, because dog owners, you're, you have this, this dog, but I mean, you're just getting started. It's okay. Buckle it. You're, we're going to help you. <laughs> it's all right. 
Yeah. You'll never know everything about yeah. dogs. Yes. <laughs> never. Even if you're in the industry and you're, this is what you do. So you got your master's degree in creative writing and what, how did you make the transition to dog training? How would, what happened there? Yeah. So, well, and everything's kind of intertwined because I was working and, and what happened is I got my heart dog. Uh, his name was Mikey and I was still in college. It was the end of college and I was working three jobs, you know, cause I'm nuts. And I was like, oh, I need a dog. I could totally have time for this. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And he was feral when I adopted him from some city shelter. And uh, so he was a terror and I immediately realized okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I grew up with dogs and I really don't know anything. <laughs> and so I signed up for a training class with uh, Christine Dahl, who's a great trainer and has some great books out there. And it was my first exposure to clicker training because it was a clicker training class. And there was this moment where I saw that light bulb go off for Mikey, where he was like, oh, I can make you click. And it was all of a sudden there was this line of communication and we spoke the same language and everything after that became easier with him. Not perfect. Like he still was a frustrating dog, but I loved him for that. Yeah. Uh, but it was so much easier to get the behavior I wanted to keep him safe was really why I wanted to do that. Cause he would bolt through the doors and take off and be like, I'm outside. I love outside. I grew up outside. So that changed my relationship with him. And after that class, I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to work with animals and help people find this with their dogs too. And so that's when I looked into animal behavior college. Um, which is an online certification uh, school. Um, and this was back in 2007, 2008. And took their online course and got certified. And I kind of worked part-time with animals while also working um, other jobs and then going back to school later. So I started my own business called Paw Logic Dog Training. Met some great people. I got to work at another doggy daycare, run my classes in their facility and start to build up my skill level. And then I got sidetracked and I was like, well, I want to go back to school and start writing again. So, <laughs> so I've kind of bounced back and forth, like into the industry, out of the industry, but kind of keeping my toe dipped in when I could. And then now getting to make that my full-time gig um, has just been so rewarding because it's like, this is your passion and this is what you should be doing. So yeah, that's awesome. And you got a couple of other certifications too. You went through the Certification Council of Professional Dog Trainers. And you're, you're a, a behaviorist as well. Is that right? Yeah. So both of those certifications are through um, the Certification Council, Professional Dog Trainers. And the CPDTKA is focused mostly on the training aspect, right? So how to train basic obedience cues, learning theory basics, all of that. And that was that was the one I really loved because it really does test your chops on, on things. And so I wanted that certification to one prove to myself, yeah, you know what you're doing. And I think it's so important to have certifications within our industry and be affiliated with some kind of organization who is encouraging more of that in the industry. Um, because the work we do is so emotional, but it has really big impacts if it goes wrong for the dog and for the people involved with, with really bad cases. And so we want to really encourage people to look for certifications, to look for the education and have that standard 
ethically and in how we are approaching cases and things like that. Um, and then the behavior side, I got that um, a little bit later because I was like, wow, I take on a lot of behavior cases. And again, I want to make sure that I am up to snuff and that people can see that I have invested the time to be able to take on these really complex cases um, and go from there. So, so I did both of those. And then two years ago, I added on the fear-free certification, which I love because I love working with veterinarians. <laughs> and so uh, I took that certification, completed that and, and have worked in some great cooperative care stuff. Uh, with my own dogs, especially, um, but really supporting veterinarians in in their and their clients, because so many people go to veterinarians before a dog trainer when their dog is having a problem. Which I was just like, that's nuts, but but it happens all the time. So yes, and just not knowing where to start too is I think can be a challenge for people. Like I'm having an issue. The internet is not helpful at all. <laughs> like where do I go? And so I do love that people are trusting their vet enough to be like, Hey, can you, can you help me? Like, what do I do? I would love to have you on. Cause I do want to do a myth buster um, series and you know, your work with your vets and everything like that is awesome. There is a bad advice going on in my community right now where dogs can't be on medication to train or to go through behavior modification. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on that and have you uh, like briefly, and we'll, we can delve into it a little bit more, maybe another episode, um, have you back on for that series. But yes, I've been collecting all the bad advice I hear in my community. And that's where I'm like bringing in the education, but I'd love, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. It's tough because I, I think as people, we have this pushback against medication and I totally understand it. Um, so my mother is a doctor and my dad is a pharmacist. And what's funny about that is growing up and even now as an adult, the last thing I want to do is take medication for something, even if it's basic pain medication. And that's crazy because sometimes it's like, you really just need to take a Tylenol, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but like, no, I can push through. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so I understand the reticence of people to just be like, well, put your dog on drugs, put them on Prozac, whatever. But um, one thing I've learned and gotten more comfortable with working with veterinarians and with veterinary behaviorists is the brain is a very complex thing. And if there is chemical imbalances in the brain, learning cannot take place as well. It's not as effective if the brain isn't absorbing it the best way, or the brain is too busy dealing with something else. So for example, anxiety, if the dog is so anxious that I can't even find a distance at which to work on their anxiety um, or on their fear that they have. I can't find anywhere that they can think and start to make some decisions. Then medication can be incredibly helpful to at least bring them down a little bit, take the edge off so that then they can learn. Um, and then the behavior modification can take hold and you'll see progress. So medications for behavior problems can be really helpful. And often they aren't implemented um, sooner when they'd be really helpful. They're just kind of like, oh, well, that's my last option. And, and some of my cases have been so severe that I'm like, no, we need this on board sooner rather than later, because otherwise you're going to get frustrated. You're not going to see any progress. Your dog is still stressed out, still anxious. And that's what we want to stop. Um, and so implementing those, including those in the behavior plan can be really helpful. It doesn't always mean that the dog's going to be on medication for life either. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases there are some cases it's like, you know what, that really helps. 
just like with humans, you know, sometimes medications really help. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want to make sure that we, we keep the dog at a good state of mental health, of behavioral health, um, so that they're feeling well and can learn that way. Um, so yeah, I always, with my extreme cases in behavior, it's always included in the conversation, you know, off the bat of what are your thoughts on medication? Because if they feel like, oh, not so sure, well, then let's talk about that. Let's find out why and then go from there. So it's always something to consider. I think too, one last note on that is, yeah. unfortunately, a lot of veterinarians aren't well-versed in behavior, but they know, they know their drugs. <laughs> yeah. So, so sometimes it seems like such an easy answer to them and it's almost sold to clients as this is the answer. And that can feel really weird to pet owners where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you just want to throw my dog on drugs and okay, what else is there? And so it's missing that behavior component. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that is interesting. That's part of the conversation I had with Juliana was a lot of veterinarians don't get a lot of, you know, behavior and training information, which is unfortunate, but hopefully that is, we'll see a tide of that change in the future. Yeah, more and more fear-free certified veterinarians is starting to take hold in the veterinary schools. I think that's even just a great first step because just to helping the, the dogs feel better, getting the care they have to get either way. Mm -hmm. and not causing those long-term behavioral issues. It's fantastic. And so you're, so you're on staff at, at Preventive Vet. You do a lot of training and behavior along with writing there. So, and your interest has, um, you seem to have a pretty strong interest in writing because you got your master's degree. What was that journey for you? Because that's, that's something that's near and dear to me as well. For writing? Oh, I love writing. Um, I think it started, well, I think maybe it's genetic. My grandfather was a big writer. Um, but I never really got into my own writing until college, until after college. Um, I love writing poetry too, super random. Um, but I also love reading. So I think all of that's connected and, and all of that. And it, again, I'm a nerd. So I was like, I want to go back to school. I'm able to go back to school now. What do I want to do? And what is valuable in any kind of career that I'd want, right? And, and writing communication for that. So so that's why I chose writing. I was passionate about it. I focused on fiction writing, but you learned the same basics. Um, and then just getting to apply it to dogs. Uh, I think that's why when Preventivet offered me the position, I was so excited because I was like, oh, I get to write and I get to write about dogs. So mm -hmm. the two things I love the most, um, it's combined now. So, so that's, it's just been a blessing for me um, to get to do my passions every day and get paid for it. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Uh, my joke recently was like, I used to get in trouble at other jobs for running my mouth and now I get to pay myself for running my mouth. So yeah, it's the best <laughs> Who's the winner here. Yeah, for sure. And it's really, it's the same, like, um, storytelling is good storytelling, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, of course, you don't want to make things up in nonfiction, but the flow is the same, you know, making sure you have your hook and, and pulling it along and having a good conclusion. That's all the same. And I've, I've really, um, I pulled preventive that, um, things I think up to a year ago when I first found you guys because it's just it's well written it's informative it's super um, it's just you cover so many bases in a in an article that's just really easy to read and is accessible so all of that is absolutely fantastic um, I loved you. the enrichment article that was so yeah good. that one was fun and and I'm lucky in that I one we have a team 
that has such broad interests within the industry veterinarians, trainers, lifestyle, people who just love pets. Mm -hmm. um, but then I get to work collaboratively, co collaboratively with other trainers like Sarah Pollock, who is the one who helped me with the enrichment article and, and getting those different viewpoints in because I know that as a writer and as a dog trainer, I can get stuck in my own little bubble um, and my own echo chamber. And it's always important to check yourself and then have people add their opinions or tell you like, oh, that didn't make sense. Or you're thinking about this wrong or what about this question? And, and that's why I love having the team around me too at Preventivet because there are just regular pet owners who read a draft of something and are like, you did not answer the question I have because you already know the answer, <laughs> you know, and, and having that perspective has been so great. And I, and that's our goal is to make it accessible, answer the questions regular people have, and, and they're not expected to know these things off the bat. So, so trying to get that information out there really clearly is important. Yeah. And that's what I love about the community of positive reinforcement trainers that have been, has been growing because I feel like sometimes with podcasts or things like issues like aggression is like, all right, we're just going to talk about aggression once. And like, that's it. But when you think about it, every trainer is going to come at aggression differently and trainers might even ask, well, what type of aggression, right? Or, you know, is it fear-based? Is it, you know, this or whatever? And so that's what I've been trying to do on my podcast is when we talk puppies, let me get a bunch of people on to talk about puppies because everyone's going to have a different perspective on how they do it. Yeah. yeah, different lenses too. And, and I think in our own practice, we start looking for certain things and we get stuck in that. And then we don't add another lens on. Um, Michael Shikashio was talking about this in one of his podcasts, I think, where it's, okay, you apply this lens, you apply the ABA, applied behavior analysis. But then did you look at the medical lens? Did you look at the counter conditioning stuff? So you have to really get out of your own box and having that community to help you with that is always so nice. And I love getting to collaborate with other trainers on cases or reach out for help because I don't know everything. Um, and I shouldn't be expected to. I think mm -hmm. that's that's tough too for especially for people just starting out yeah. um, who might feel not confident enough to reach out to the big names. Mm -hmm. Every one of those big name trainers I've reached out to has been amazing um, and so willing to help. And that's so encouraging for the industry because we we can do better together. Mm -hmm. uh, and just feeling like, okay, I can reach out to you or I can put this on a forum for other trainers and and not get bashed. And I think that's the hardest thing with the internet and our society now is it's very easy to bash someone, uh, but it's so important to instead give them constructive things that they can start applying and helping them learn. Um, so one, I love seeing that in the fear-free community, in the positive reinforcement trainer, in positive reinforcement community all around. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really nice to see that building, uh, that community. Yes. Yeah. And especially with that education um, basis of like, all right, let's really talk about it instead of just making a blanket statement. It's like what all good trainers say, maybe, or sometimes instead of always or never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Um, so I love that you're a part of the Dog Riders Association of America. Um, what, uh, when did you join that association? How has that impacted your career? It's fun. I love the Dog Riders Association. So it started because they run a contest every year for riders in the industry. Um, and so we entered that. I have yet to win. I've entered twice. 
and I've become a finalist, but I've never won. So maybe this next time we'll see, oh. but you're up against amazing writers too. So, yeah. um, so it's been nice. It's, it, I'm not super involved, but I love the community there because it is a niche part of the industry, the people who write about it um, and, and getting editing tips and all of the writing tips from that um, has been really helpful. Uh, in my own writing. So you are actually co-host on a podcast yourself with Prevented Vet. Yes, we're actually in the middle of rebranding it, but it was called Pause and Play. Um, and so we are getting ready to launch a whole new rebranded season, probably a new name. <laughs> we have yet to decide on one, but I'll keep you posted. Yeah. Um, and I love it. My co-host Mia, she's our pet lifestyle person. She's fantastic. And she balances me out <laughs> really well. And and we focused a lot on preventive things. So again, preventive vet's mission of let's educate so that emergencies don't happen. You know, know better, do better. Um, and, and I'm hoping to really build on that with the next season, the new rebrand that we're doing, and then also bring in what I love, which is the storytelling aspect of look at the connection we have with our pets. Why does it matter? Um, and how does it affect behavior and training and all of that stuff? So. So I'm excited to see where it takes us. Yes, because you were on a podcast recently that's basically about that, right? Of why, you know, what do pets mean to you? Why are they so important to us? Yeah, Deborah Hamilton runs that podcast. I think it's called Why Pets Matter. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's great. And she asked some really good questions. And I love her stuff because she actually is very kind of niche too, where she works with the legal side mm -hmm. of owning a pet. Um, and so I learned a lot from her and I was like, oh, I should write a will. And all these things of like, what happens to my pet, you know, if something happens to me. And, and so again, that connection with someone in the industry, I'm still learning a lot of stuff and, and it's just, it's crazy. how oh, it's all interconnected. It really is. And nobody can know, nobody can know everything. And I think when we put that pressure on ourselves or we kind of put that wall, it's like that growth versus fixed mindset, right? If you're, you're fixed, you're really doing yourself and people around you a disservice. But if you're like, well, what can I learn here? Then man, just yeah. Doors open up so much. Well, how many dogs do you have? I have two, okay. two, two cardigan corgis. One is named Sookie Bean. And she's 11 years old. She's my, my old lady. Um, and then we brought home Fozzie Bear. Uh, he's just over a year now. So I brought him home during the pandemic because I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, they're just the joy of my life. They've kept me sane for the most part. They've kept me sane uh, through the pandemic. Um, but like we talked about earlier, it's hard. It's hard work with a young dog. And he's in the teenage stage. And there are days when I'm just like, I can't deal yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And that's, yeah, I talk, I talk clients through that a lot too. Cause that's 10, 10 to 12 months is when most puppies get given up. Yeah. Um, the shelters and, and yeah. a lot of times for behaviors that are preventable mm. or manageable while they're really, really bad. I, I was just taking a seminar about adolescents and dogs and hearing from a neuroscientist about the changes happening in a dog's brain in any mammal's brain mm -hmm. during adolescence it's i love the analogy of it's like getting remodeled mm -hmm. and so you're tearing out things and then you're you have to rebuild that um and <laughs> i think the most interesting thing i learned in that seminar was during adolescence dogs are less likely to listen to their owner more likely to listen and respond to strangers. Mm. 
Mm. And I was like, man, for the emotional connection for someone raising a teen dog to be that frustrated and then see your dog give someone else a sit when they won't sit for you. I was like, I get it. That would, that would just grind my gears because you're so tired and you're doing all this work, but it's a normal thing. And I'm like, yeah, yep. Happens to my dog. (laughs) So that actually just happened in class last night. Um, It's a dog I've been doing some training walks with, but he's full grown teenager and he does not want to listen to his person. And I walk over and he's like, yes, I'm going to sit for you immediately. You're like, you don't even have to ask me. I'm going to sit for you. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 It's a tough period. I tell people, I was like, enjoy puppyhood. If you think you're frustrated now, it doesn't get easier until like four. (laughs) Yeah. Full grown, settled in all that work. I try to prep people for that too. I'm like, you put all the work at the front end and you will get to breathe a little bit later on. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. It's like a bank account. Yeah. 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 The investments. Oh, well, Kathy, I think that was all the questions that I had. Was there anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so. Okay. Awesome. All right. I'm going to do the little sign off and then I've got one final question for you. This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein. That's me, your certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas. And my guest today, Kathy Madsen. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of Seven Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify. And stick around for After the Music for some final advice from Kathy. Kathy, there's a lot of information out there. It's dog training. And then you try to like, look at starting a dog career. There's so many things to think about and look at what's a good first step. What would you recommend for someone thinking about doing something like this? I think a good first step would be to research the different certifications out there because different ones are targeting different kinds of paths you can take in the career, but look for one that piques your interest. Look for one that also is taking the time to check the knowledge of the people they certify. So, you know, really look at reviews of things, find out people's experiences, do your research on the program that you're considering, and then pick that based on what you want to do, whether that's basic obedience training, or if it is more behavior focused um, or dog sport focused, all of those things. So do your research on the certifications to find the one that hits home for you.